Hey guys, welcome to part two of our interview with uh, my good friend Blaine on apologetics. I hope you enjoyed the first part. Uh, we get into um, uh, a few a few different things uh, in this episode. He's going to give us a ton of resources at the end, and those will all be in the show notes. So I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed this. hope it's encouraging. One of the big things that Blaine said in uh, this part of the interview that uh, will stick with me for a while is he said, I love apologetics because it has made me worship. Uh, we can often uh, lose sight of that, I think, uh, when we're uh, encountering uh, people in these apologetic arguments, and that apologetics is good for the Christian, too. We, uh, we mentioned in the interview that uh, John Frame says apologetics is the application of the Bible to unbelief. Uh, there are areas, if we're honest as Christians, where we struggle uh, to believe sometimes, and we, we need this in our own life. So I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the interview, and... Uh, Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We can get ourselves bogged down because we think we have to have these technical arguments every time when we could just simply just state, right. state the That's truth. Right. I always uh, think of that uh, stories from Spurgeon's life when he was going into a, a building to test the acoustics and he just belted to the top of his lungs, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there was a man working in there who heard him and the Holy Spirit just convicted him. And yeah, just, just, just that simple statement, and the Holy Spirit used it and brought brought the man to Christ. Uh, right. Just, I mean, yeah, just that's, I mean, God's truth is powerful. And I, you I know. think, you know, even, I, you know, you hear about Francis Schaeffer and people talking about pre, pre-evangelism, where this apologetics, you know, in a secular culture, you know, you think, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world – in a secular culture now, they may not have the categories to even process what that means. Like, what is sin and what is the Lamb of God? Yeah. But I don't know, man. Sometimes the words of the gospel, I think God can do a work when he, he communicates his words to people's hearts, when they, they respond to it, maybe in a way they don't even fully understand at first. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think the, the benefit of these arguments is to at least um, – there, these most of these arguments are answers to the big worldview questions. So they're the things that people think about that are part of the way we live and the way we think. But it's just, um, you know, you're not always going to get to share the syllogism <laughs> yeah. with the random person you meet at the or the waiter or waitress you talk to. So it's just a matter of I think these are these sorts of arguments help you know what you're talking about, so that. You know, if someone says ISIS is evil and they're an unbeliever, and then you want to say, well, you know, why do you think there even is such a thing as, as evil? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, why should ISIS be prohibited, universally prohibited from, you know, inst- you know, decapitating people, setting them on fire, instituting Sharia law all over the world? You know, what reason do we have to impose our values on them? Um, and, and you don't have to say, therefore God exists or something, but that's a a conversation starter that would, that leads directly into a worldview that has a personal God who cares about, um, moral values and duties. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. (laughs) Um, so, uh, we'll kind of shift a a little bit here. Um, so you kind of. We passed by this earlier, but how how did you get into apologetics yourself? Start studying. All right. It? 
So this is really weird. Um, I can't remember if it was two or three years ago. Do you remember when I started emailing you all that Greek stuff about um, St. Athanasius and on the Incarnation? Yeah, I do. I've actually got it. Believe it or not, I pulled that up in my email today. It was uh, it was 2014. Okay, of, so yeah. It's, yeah, middle of 2014. So it hadn't been that long. I mean – I've really kind of been obsessed with this for a couple of years. These, uh, <laughs> but what ha- here's what happened. I had a copy of, of course, I've read C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity a couple of times, some other stuff by C.S. Lewis. But my my interest, as far as uh, the Bible and you know, Christianity goes, has always been in biblical languages, biblical studies, you know, and theology. I, I just love that stuff, and still do. But um. I picked up an old copy of God in the Dock. It's like a compilation of letters and essays mm-hmm. by C.S. Lewis. I'd gotten it for cheap a long time ago and just found it like collecting dust on a bookshelf. And I picked it up and I was just like, what the heck? I'm going to read this. So I started reading it and I came across in there um, a – it's called On Old Books. And it's an introduction that C.S. Lewis wrote. For an old translation of St. Athanasius's On the Incarnation. And so the, the, the essay was so good. I was like, man, you know, I want to read On the Incarnation. So that's a very, ordered, good, that's a very good essay. I have read yeah, that. That's very good. It's a great, um, great advice for just going to the sources and reading. Um, so I was like, well, I'm going to do that with this very book. So I ordered a copy um, by John Bear, a recent translation of um, St. Athanasius's On the Incarnation. And then I ordered um, the Greek the Greek text of the um, – on, on the Incarnation is actually a um, the second part of a double treatise by St. Athanasius. And the first part is called Against the Gentiles. So part one is against the Gentiles, part two is on the Incarnation. So I ordered the Greek text of the double treatise um, published by Oxford University Press, and then I ordered the translation on the Incarnation and read it first. And man, it was great. It was um, – on the Incarnation was great. Then I read the English of um, – which you can find on the Christian Classics Ethereal Library yeah. or something, mm-hmm. C-C-E-L. yeah. Um, you can find a good translation. I've read it too. It's from Philip Schaff's um, massive, you know, volumes that he has on church history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so through reading against the Gentiles on incarnation, Athanasius, what he does is incredible, and it's in fact I want to go read it again now, just talking about it. And and I read through those probably six or seven times. They're pretty short. And just out of sheer interest, I was—I don't know why—it just captivated me how he was engaging the culture at the time. He was—he um, was giving unbelievers reason to abandon the worldview, um, to abandon the way they think about the universe, the way they think about the gods, and um, and giving them reasons to believe um, in Christianity. He defends the incarnation, which isn't just the birth, but it's the the whole deal, you know, the the death and the resurrection of Jesus, his life, um, tells unbelievers how you can know God. You can know God through the creation. You can know God because of the um, because of the constitution of your soul. You can know God through the scriptures. Um, 
you can know God through the incarnation of the Logos. So I was just like, dude, this is great. So, um, oh, but he dealt with Platonism, um, Neoplatonism and some other maybe Stoicism and, and things I wasn't totally up on. Because I didn't know and still don't know jack about philosophy. By the way, all this apologetics and philosophy and stuff, I still feel like a, like a baby. But um, there's a scholar named Khalid Anatolios, and he wrote a book called Athanasius, The Coherence of His Thought. And then he wrote another book um, called – it's just Athanasius, and it's an introduction to Athanasius with some um, selections from his other letters and stuff. So I read both of those books and got really interested in it simultaneously from Athanasius and then this scholar on Athanasius, Khalid Anatolios. I became simultaneously interested in um, both apologetics and philosophy. So um, that's how – that's what got me into it. Um, around that time – and you can interrupt me at any time. Uh, you're good. I'm just in, sitting back and enjoying the ride. <laughs> Around that time, um, because of the co the content um, of uh, Against the Gentiles on the Incarnation, I remember somebody at Boyce College a long time ago telling me to watch um, The Great Debate by Greg Bonson. So I got on to YouTube, typed in The Great Debate, and listened to it <laughs> and was just, like, loving it, you know. Um, Greg Bonson, you know, he sorts – he sort of comes across a little um, like, hey, I'm going to destroy you completely in this argument. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to rip you limb from limb, uh, your intellectual limbs off. And and he surely does to um, Gordon Stein, the, his debater. And since then, I've heard – I've read and listened to other atheists um, much better than Gordon Stein, but still – I don't. I don't think I've heard anyone that can answer the argument that Bonson gives on logic. But anyway, after that, I read. Oh, let me think here. After I watched or listened to the Bonson debate, oh, I ordered um, "Always Ready." Have you heard of that? No, um, I've not. "Always Ready." Somebody put it together. I think it's Presbyterian Reformed Press. I think the same thing that um, um, John Frame publishes through. Yeah, but he's ready. It's like a, someone put it together, a bunch of Bonson's um, lecture notes and stuff, and read that, and and it was it was really good. Then after that, I read um, oh, and I was pretty much just you know just picking here and there. After that, I read Reasonable Faith by William Lane Craig, and that was and probably still is uh, was just over my head it was it was a very difficult read but it was fascinating i couldn't put it down um reasonable faith the third edition great book i know that i know that john frame and william Lane craig are perceived to be quite different um maybe theologically but boy i have great respect for both of them um and that's been pretty recent. I listened to John Frame's apologetics thing on iTunes U. I listened twice to his History of Philosophy uh, and Christian Thought. I listened to James Anderson's um, from Reformed Theological Seminary, also on there, on uh, the history of Western philosophy. And um, 
And then I got just recently um, finished reading for the second time Douglas Grutwiss's, um what's it, uh, Christian Apologetics, A Comprehensive Case for Biblical Faith. Oh, there's some other things, you know, but but this has all been really, you know, just like the email, just the past couple of years. Yeah. It's kind of pushed me in the face. So would you say Frame and Craig, uh, Doctors Frame and Craig have kind of been the most influential on, let, you, let me on you so far? You know, I, I, um, I got to say, I've got to put Al Mohler first. Um, yeah. And this is strange because I never thought about him as a – um, an apologist until I read his book. Um, oh, it's just recently come out. Uh, we cannot be silent. Yeah. I haven't read that yet. Oh man. It's great. It's very well done. Very careful. But in the, in the introduction, Paige Patterson says, or in the little blurbs, those scholars give, um, in the front of the books, Paige Patterson said that Al Mohler is, um, something like, a cultural apolo- today's a cultural apologist who has no peer. And I was like, man, and sure enough, I mean, for the past several years, I've listened to Al Mohler's The Briefing every single day. Um, and I know that he has influenced, um, and I've read his blog for years before I started listening to the podcast. So he's constantly thinking through the implications of the Christian worldview um, and how the Christian worldview can shed light on an issue where an unbelieving worldview will lead to absurdities. So I've got to say Al Mohler first, William Lane Craig second, and um, and then John Frame a, a close third to those guys. Yeah, John Frame's kind of a hybrid though because he's a, a theologian first, I think. That's letting right. that's letting theology um, right drive his apologetics. Yeah, so. I, and I appreciate that about him. I, and I, th- I think I told you in a text that I think, and I could be totally off base here, but I think his philosophy is um, underappreciated because it is so driven by his theology. Yeah. Where, but I, I really respect that and and appreciate the simplicity and the coherence of it just because it comes from the from the scriptures. Yeah, because he had a uh, – yeah, because this is from his Doctrine of the Knowledge of God, which I'm reading right now. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. book. I never thought I'd enjoy a book on epistemology, but I am, so it's pretty awesome. All right, good. Uh, I'll have to, I haven't read one. That's, that's good. Uh, um, it's a good – It's I'm uh, about 50% of the way done with it. It's been fantastic so far. But he says uh, – in that book, he says Christian philosophy is a subdivision of theology. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that, he, that makes so, sense. Yeah, so he puts it under uh theology and he even he even says apologetics is a subset of theology because he Yeah, that he, makes perfect sense. Yeah, since he says um apologetics is the application of the Bible to unbelief and he defi- oh, yeah, and he defines theology as uh the application of the Bible. So, there you go. Our man John cool. Frame. Yeah, Dr. Muller, yeah, man, he's I- fantastic. I feel like Al Mohler and um, John Frame have influenced me on a macro level, like how to think big picture or worldview. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like Wimlin Craig has helped me on a micro level, um, how to think through particular uh, details, how to think of how someone might respond and how you might uh, respond to a response, you know, and, and things like yeah. that. And 
Um, but all three of those guys are just giants to me. Awesome. I'm not I'm not as familiar with uh, William Lane Craig, but I will try to be one day. <laughs> they, they, um, the way I feel about these guys, and sometimes I'll read a book or listen to a podcast, and I'll tell my wife, I'm just like, I'm so thankful that these guys, these men, have taken the time <laughs> and oh, the effort yeah. to yeah. make their work palatable for the lay person like me. Yeah. Um, it really means a lot to me. And I try to do that. I try to take that to my Sunday school class and to the, the students at the school where I teach and, um, and really try to give these ideas back to them. Yeah. So that'll have an impact. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, that's all I've got for apologetics. I, I got a couple other questions for you. Yeah, yeah. We do this with every guest that comes on the podcast, so you have to you have to endure it as well. We've already talked about your favorite okay. favorite apologist, so uh, we'll uh, ask a few fun questions that are still kind of theology related, I guess. So, uh, favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite preacher, whether living or or dead? Yeah, um, my favorite preacher is. Um, Matthew Vandegriff. He's my older brother, seven years older, and he's the associate pastor at my church, Brainerd Hills Baptist in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, you want to know why he's my favorite? Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, one reason he's my favorite is because I've grown up with him and I know him. Um, so I know his character and I trust him. Um, I also know that he was one of the youngest or the youngest sergeant ever promoted in the Hamilton County uh, sheriff's department I have a history of law enforcement in my family and that he did not want to leave that job and for years would wake up um with just sweats and nervousness and felt like god was calling him to the ministry and didn't know what to do about it he had dreams and nightmares about it um but he didn't want to lose lose his pension had all these things but he um he relinquished and our church actually offered him um the youth ministry position at our church and he did that and did a great job and then the associate pastor left at our church and the our pastor asked if matthew would want to be the associate the new associate pastor so he did and so he started having preaching responsibilities well he does a really good really good job of doing expository preaching, you know, yeah. he's preached through some small books of the Bible through some, um, you know, he's gone through themes, but he'll, the themes are always relate to a, a particular pericope or chapter or something like that. And a text, and he just makes the text come alive. You know, every time he preaches, I learn something. I learn something about the text, um, about the scripture. And then the way he makes the principles that are in the text, um, apply, um, to everyday situations through tor stories that he tells or um, ways he's encouraging the congregation to act. It's just very good for someone who has almost no formal training in uh, ministry or preaching. He is working on a Masters of Divinity slowly, but he's just gifted. He's just gifted for it. He's a great preacher, and God has called him to it, and he is my favorite preacher. Awesome. That's awesome, man. Um. You know, another thing is, I'm not even sure that he knows the five points of Calvinism. Yeah. But he preached through Ephesians, and he just 
seems just to let the text say what it says, you know? Yeah. And appreciate that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so favorite uh, book or uh, verse in the Bible? All right. Favorite book or either one. Verse in the Bible? Either one. Okay, so I oh Proverbs three verses uh, is it five and six? I don't yep. even know the verse yep. reference. Uh-huh. You know that just always comes back to me constantly. I mean, there are other verses. Um, you know, let's seek first the kingdom of God and um, other great verses, but um, that trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh yeah. <laughs> with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Oh, I love that verse. It's mm-hmm. something that brings comfort to me and um, conviction to me all the time. So that's my favorite verse. It's a great, it's a great verse. There's really no proper response to uh, that. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's great. You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's so many great uh, verses, you know, I mean, that, I love the book of Hebrews and the stuff about, therefore, let us go outside uh, the the gate with Christ bearing his reproach. Um, there are those sorts of, ver- I mean, there's all kinds of yeah. just great stuff. The Bible is amazing. I knew you would mention Hebrews. I saw that <laughs> one coming. I was like, he, w- he will mention Hebrews eventually. So, um, so th- this may be uh, a tough question because I know, um, as your wife poked fun on us at on Facebook uh, a couple weeks ago about books and hoarding them, remember that? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, favorite uh, theological book? Oh, okay. Man, that's just the most recent thing comes to my mind, and I hate to say it's my favorite because I'm sure I'm missing something. Oh, give me a second. Okay. Um, uh, Greg Allison's Historical Theology. That's that's my favorite theology book. Why, why would you say that? Um, it is just neat to see how the church has um, taken theology and applied it to the issues of their day, both uh, cultural and uh, philosophical. It's just really fascinating to me. The book is just dense, but well-written yeah. Totally easy to read. Um, if I could throw a second one in there, it'd have to be The King and His Beauty by Tom uh, Tom Schreiner. Yes, yeah. That is one that I know I'll read again. It's just really good. Awesome. Are you teaching Sunday school tomorrow? Uh, no. Um, the guy that teaches with me is doing it tomorrow. Okay. What's the lesson on tomorrow? Well, we're going through Matthew, and the last, um, the last passage I taught out was – from is Matthew chapter seven, mm-hmm. where Jesus gives the um, the you know there's the he gives these metaphors. There's the narrow gate and the wide gate, the narrow way and the wide way. There's the oh the tree that bears good fruit, the tree that bears bad fruit. There's the oh the guy who builds his house on the sand, and the guy who builds his house on the bedrock under the sand and um, but 
you know, I wish I knew my Bible better than this, but I'm not sure what comes comes right after that. <laughs> That's all good, man. It's all good. <laughs> but I love that passage. In fact, that was one of those times where um, I occasionally go back to that triperspectivalism. Yeah. And um, I'll draw draw a triangle and um, <laughs> see how it goes. But that passage was neat to me because I was thinking to the app- really I like the triangles because they helped me think through the application of the principles of the text. Yeah. So, like the principle in Matthew chapter seven, that section that I taught seemed to be the authority of Jesus's words. So yeah. that would have been normative. Then our obedience is required. I mean, Jesus kept repeating in that text, he who hears these words of mine and does them will be blessed. You know, he who does not do hear these, he who hears these words and does not do them. And then he says something similar. He who hears the words of my father and does not do them, like these sorts of things are repeated. So it's like the normative would be Jesus's the authority of Jesus's words the situational would be the um, our obedience and submission to his authority, um, carrying out his commands. And then the existential was, you know, um, in between the first two sets of metaphors and the last one about the guy who builds his house on the sand in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says um, he stops um, after the second set of metaphors about the good, tr- the good fruit and the bad fruit, the good tree and the bad tree. And he says that these people will come to me saying, Lord, that we not cast out demons in your names and, you know, that part. Yeah. Um, and prophesy in your name and do all these great things. And then Jesus says, I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. <laughs> um, so to me. What that seemed, what seemed to jump off the page is that we have to know Him. You know, yeah. um, we could do all the great things in the world. I mean, the prophesying, casting out demons, all those things seem like if there's ever evidence for a righteous person, surely prophesying and casting out demons would be it. Um, but apparently, there's something deeper there. You know, we have to know the Lord. And uh, so I didn't mean for that question to turn into like a 10 minute response, but no, you're fine. Uh, I love John frames triangles and I think it's, <laughs> it's been a tool for me. My, my Sunday school class makes fun of it. Now they're like, Oh, here comes another triangle. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's worked. It works. And I, I think it's very helpful as well. Um, so uh, before we go, um, if you could give like maybe one or two quick pieces of advice for those who may want to, start studying apologetics more um i said i was done with apologetics but i forgot i had this question so oh yeah <laughs> i'm like the preacher right. who said i'm well, closing my book and i'm done and i go on for 10 minutes <laughs> 10 more minutes um you might have to split this up ep- this podcast up into like two episodes oh, or something we're putting the whole thing up man um well man you know i feel so new at this uh, i barely feel qualified to even give advice um, but I will, I'll give what I've got. Um, I've written some things down, but I'll try to keep this short. So l- let me just list out a few things. Um, as far as someone just wanting to, just to, just to get their feet wet and see where it goes, you know, start at the basics. I say the first book to read and, and I'm reading this right now and taking a group of my high school guys through it. Um, this is my third time going through it. 
just a phenomenal book. John Frame uses this book in his apologetics class. It's um, number The Reason for God by Tim Keller. The Reason for God by Tim Keller, just a wonderful place to start. I won't say anything else about it um, because I don't want to take too much time. Um, also, Tim Keller on his Redeemer website, I'm not sure what his website is, but he has a series he's done for two years called Questioning Christianity. And he invites skeptics to his church on a some night, and he does it for either like five or six weeks, and he gives a lecture on a topic related to culture and Christianity, and then he lets these skeptics just grill him with questions. That's a great place to start, just to listen to him lecture and answer questions. The second book I'd say go to, this just really easy to read short book um, is Worldviews in Conflict by Ronald Nash. That book is brilliant. Um, Ronald Nash, I've listened to him. He used to be at Reformed Theological Seminary, and his lectures are on iTunes U. I've listened to all those. He's got ethics, apologetics, and a philosophy. But his Worldviews in Conflict book is just great at teaching you how to think about um, your worldview and how to think about others' world, other people's worldviews, and then criteria. He gives you specific criteria um, to use to analyze a worldview. He also deals with the problem of evil and other stuff, but it's a short book. Um, can I keep going? Yeah, you're good, man. The third book that I wrote down was um, John Frame's book, Apologetics, A Justification of Christian Belief. And I love it just for its emphasis on the authority of the scripture and grounding our, our worldview and our uh, apologetics. And the fourth one is, uh, uh, so Frame's book is Apologetics, a Justification of Christian Belief. The fourth book under my Introduction to Apologetics category would be On Guard by William Lane Craig. Um, if someone wants to get sort of out of the Reformed tradition and hear um, from them, William Lane Craig would be the way to go. Although I have to say, you know, his apologetics and presuppositional apologetics, they're not as in conflict as, as I think it, they might seem. Um, I've, I've listened to hundreds, maybe thousands of hours of his lectures and um, um, Sunday school class. But anyway, um, On Guard is awesome. It uh, helps you think about the problem of evil. It helps you think about um, worldview um, but he gives you arguments, and it's just a, it's a great book. The fifth book is Knowledge and Christian Belief. Now, Alvin Plantinga is tough to read. Um, his really scholarly books like Warranted Christian Belief, and then even some intermediate books like um, uh, Where the Conflict Really Lies, where he talks about the tension between um, religion and and, or Christianity and naturalism or science and religion, he um, it's hard to read. Well, he just recently released this book, Knowledge and Christian Belief, and I read it, and it's a it's a dumbed down version of Warranted Christian Belief, and he talks about how he calls it the um, Calvin Aquinas or the Aquinas Calvin model, and it's he talks about how belief in God is something that we experience. It's a properly basic belief. It's something that we get from the authority of Scripture, from the authority of our church and our upbringing and such. And there's it's 
a better book than I'm making it out to be. Um, <laughs> so it, he talks how he talks about how just like we believe in the external world and believe in um, the existence of other minds and um, that the future will be like the past, that the past is real. Um, so our belief in God is 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 properly basic in that way, and he defends that. And not only is belief in God, but belief belief in the essentials of the Christian worldview are properly basic. That doesn't mean that they're not subject to defeaters, so that someone couldn't say, well, throw the problem of evil at you or historical biblical criticism at you and try to defeat your belief. So the second half of the book, he deals with some possible defeaters for, for the Christian worldview. and But the book's only like 120 pages, and it's fantastic. It's one that I'll, I'll read again. And it's just so easy to read those five books um if you want to go deeper the first place to go and i plan on reading this book over and over again is christian apologetics i've already mentioned it twice by uh, douglas grutowitz he's a he's a philosopher um a, a calvinist the um but the book is really good and it covers everything i mean um he kind of does the uh ronald nash approach at the beginning he lays out the Christian worldview. He gives you um, way, criteria for evaluating worldviews, um, distortions of the biblical worldview. He gives you all the several arguments for the existence of God that are um, really well done. Uh, he talks about – he even gets into Old Testament ethics. You know, what about genocide in the Old Testament and slavery and the treatment yeah. of women? You know, how do we deal with those issues? Of course, he talks about the problem of evil, religious pluralism, um, Christian particularism. Um, and he talks about Islam. He talks about hell. Um, hell um, is a doctrine people don't like to talk about, um, a part of the Christian worldview, and he deals with that, objections to the doctrine of hell. I mean, it really covers everything and it's very well done i really respect the book and i'm thankful that he wrote it so christian apologetics the second one um if you want to go deeper is reasonable faith by william lane craig and um i'm sorry for taking so long man it's all good um, this book is it's the the next two i'm going to mention are, are tough but if you're wanting to really get into it these will be good um William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland wrote Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview. Um, that's one I'm going to have to read again just so I can get what I missed the first time and reread it again. Um, book That book is very well done. Um, you, you know, you're not going to agree with everything, and that's okay, but you're going to learn, and that's for sure. Uh, number four, um, A Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology. Good grief. It's one of the toughest books I've read, but it is incredible and powerful. Um, all of these, all of these books have reminded me um, that that Christianity is true. You know, it's encouraged me. Um, it's it's made me more relaxed. Um, these knowing these things when I'm talking to unbelievers, I don't have to feel worried or defensive. Um, but also, man, it, these things have made me worship um, in a different way. Um, but I also got to say, to supplement apologetics, I would recommend reading. And of course, I haven't read all John Frame, but his um, history of Western philosophy and Christian thought, or history of Western philosophy and theology, is a great supplement to, to 
to uh, um, the apologetic because it gives you the big picture of how people think and where the big errors are in worldview thinking. Um, his um, Doctrine of the Christian Life has an amazing section on um, secular, secular ethical systems. So when you're thinking about um, morality and ethics and the application of moral standards, that is just incredible. And he shows – I mean I, he does a great job showing that the Christian worldview uh, – I don't want to go on. Um, <laughs> but those are great supplements. Um, and then let me mention a few more if I, you're cool with it. No, go for it, man. Um, so the first category I mentioned was just intro to apologetics. The second one was some more advanced books. Like I mentioned the Blackwell Companion and Natural Theology. Um, it is um, scientists and scholars in that book really writing some t really good essays uh, defending these arguments. So, of course, you got the moral argument, but you also have like arguments, the arguments from mind and the argument from intentional states of consciousness. Um, you have the argument from, you know, the teleological, the um, design argument and those sorts of things. But um, then the next section I have here is uh, books on specific apologetic topics. Um, and the first one I put down was um, Al Mohler's We Cannot Be Silent. Uh, the kind of culture we're living in here uh, where there is no gender anymore or um, things like that are coming up and it's causing issues in schools, um, you know, homosexual marriage and, and other types of marriage are coming down the pipe, the L, um, LGBTQ or whatever other letters they have on there now. That's a great book. D.A. Carson wrote a book called The Intolerance of Tolerance, which is actually part two um, of a two-book series, I think. Um, the first one was Christ and Culture Revisited. But his book, The Intolerance of Tolerance, is just it's, – it's a really good book on understanding um, why our culture treats religious belief the way it does and how Christians um, can respond to it. And it's a really good book. Number four, I think I've said that about every single book. Um, <laughs> Have you read a bad I, book? Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I try to like I try to like read about them before I read them, so I don't waste my time, you know. I understand. Uh, and money. Yeah. But uh, Alvin Plantinga, I finished this one pretty recently. It's called um, "Where the Conflict Really Lies." Um, oh, I've got it somewhere. Where the Conflict Really Lies, Science, Religion, and Naturalism. Alvin Plantinga, Oxford University Press. That book is great to, to think about the, um, the presuppositions that uh, scientists uh, or naturalistic scientists have. And then he concludes his book with the um, argument against naturalism based on evolution. And it's hilarious. If you don't want to read the book, <laughs> only you could say an argument like that is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 just hilarious that he would use evolution to defeat naturalism. <laughs> yeah. So um, you can YouTube. He's lectured at universities and given question and answer sections on that argument. So if you don't want to read the book, you can watch on YouTube. Um. Oh, uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote a book called What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? That's a book you can read really fast in just a few days. It's, 
just over 100 pages. Excellent treatment of biblical text and um, just pretty straightforward presentation of what the Bible teaches about homosexuality. He gives some justifications for why uh, why we would keep the Bible's teaching against homosexuality while also not keeping the Bible's teaching on, say, you know, women's menstruation and kicking them out of the city during that time and stuff like that. I wish I could have thought of a better example. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> um, oh, this is another great one. Uh, uh, is is God a Moral Monster by Paul Copan? That book is uh, – he deals with um, – you know, uh, slavery, um, passes about women and abortion and the genocide in the Old Testament, all these things that um, are sort of hyped up by the new atheist, he says. That's a, a really seems to be a careful treatment of the biblical text um, and response to some common accusations um, to Christianity. Um, it's got a moral monster. James White wrote a book called this is number seven on my little list of books on specific apologetic topics james white wrote a book called uh, what every christian needs to know about the quran um and i don't know if if i haven't read too many books on islam i took a class on it at utc where we were i've read the quran and this is a really good book it, it takes you through what does the quran teach about Jesus, what does the Quran teach about God? What does the Quran teach about the Trinity? What does the Quran teach about salvation? And he's he's really careful, he's really fair, it seems, that he tries to cite passages from the Quran and Muslim authorities, does a really good job. It's really informative. Um and then finally on this little book list, um Andreas Kirstenberger and Daryl Bach wrote a little bitty book called Truth Matters. And it deals with people like sort of uh, criticisms that you might get from a Bart Ehrman or from, you know, um, biblical, uh, liberal biblical critics like that. And and it's just a it's a good little book that you could give to a high school student. Truth matters. But it's it's a really good treatment of issues on historical biblical criticism. But the um, if you don't want to buy a book. There are free resources everywhere, and my personal favorite is um, Al Mohler's The Briefing and um, William Lane Craig's Defenders podcast. William Lane Craig has taught a pod, this Defenders podcast. He takes a Sunday school class through systematic theology, and um, in between certain sections, he'll do an excursus on natural theology. So he'll talk about arguments for the existence of God and um, objections to the Christian faith and stuff. But he takes you through, you know, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of um, revelation, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of man, on and on and on. And and so he's got the the def first Defender series where he's gone through it once, Defenders two where he went through it the second time, and now he's doing it the third time. And I believe the first ones, the first episode was from like 2007. Um, and I've, I've listened to all of them just when I'm working out or when I'm driving uh, to work, I'll, I'll listen to them and they are, uh, 
they are fantastic. Um, the defenders, of course, you got the iTunes U stuff for John Frame, which would be a good place to start to. But all these free resources you can listen to if you don't want to buy a book. Um, the Question in Christianity by Tim Keller, you know, there's all sorts of uh, free resources. Awesome. Anything else? <laughs> no, man. I don't think so, man. <laughs> I just feel like I word vomited all over you. No, that's, uh, you know, we're talking to you, which means you have to talk back to us. So it's good. No problem, man. Um, I love what you're doing with your podcast, and I'm honored to to be on here with you. So I hope that hope that this information, these resources are um, helpful to some people. I know I, I said this before, but I know just in the past couple of years that I've immerse myself in this and I, I have not stopped being a part of my church and reading my Bible. You know, that those sorts of things have to be primary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, apologetics. I don't know. Um, I, I love it. It's, um, I'm, I love it because it's made me worship and it's made me more confident and relaxed in, in conversation with unbelievers. That's probably been the, the biggest takeaway from all this. I love learning, but it's just, it's made me realize, you know, that there's that quote from C.S. Lewis wrote this essay called it's theology poetry. And I, I hope I don't misquote this, but he said, um, I believe in Christianity. Like I believe that the sun has risen, not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And and I think that's true. I think that you, when you read your Bible and you and you um, are pursuing Christ, um, ministering in your church and such, then um, and you study apologetics, I think that becomes really clear um, that that this world makes sense in the um, from the Christian worldview perspective and from no other perspective. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thank you uh, for your time. Hang on here after we. Uh, Hang on until we do the ending. Don't don't yeah well don't, yeah don't disconnect. Um, all right. But thank you for joining us. I think it'd be a good idea. Uh, maybe soon. Uh, maybe we could hook up and do another episode and maybe look at some of these passages that we've mentioned already. Like that first Peter passage. I think it's Colossians two. Uh, yeah. And is it first? There's a there's a Corinthians passage. I think as well. Um, that normally is brought to bear on apologetics but we can check that later maybe we can do another epi- yes. another episode going through those texts to maybe a more of a little deep dive instead of yeah such sounds a big, good Acts big chapter level. 17 yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah awesome awesome well thank you guys for listening thank you blaine uh for joining us it's been a pleasure i i thank you, you know it's always uh good to have someone on that is uh passionate about what they're talking about especially when it comes to apologetics because i think it, we struggle with it i struggle with it i need to get, get better at it uh, so it's just it's encouraging to me to hear someone who's passionate about it and it you know because i love what you said and i wrote it down i love apologetics because it has made me worship and that's that that's where it's at um so thank you thank you for joining us thank you guys for listening and uh we'll we'll uh, talk at you next time thank you thanks for having me